I'm Dr. Sarah Hales-Britton. I'm Luke Patrick. And I'm Sam Siegel. And welcome to Greased Lightning, a podcast where we talk about myth and the movies and try to learn a little something. Hi, guys. Hello. Hey. I would ask how it's going, but we all just watched Agara, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. There's some feelings yeah. in the house. Not a lot of good ones, no. I would say. No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some grim feelings. Yeah. This was the first time watching this movie for you guys. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know it existed. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. D- yeah. Ditto that, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. What's your relationship with this movie? Uh, I watched this movie in graduate school, in class. Which, like, okay. watching a movie in class in grad school is the weird, or just, like, even in college is just, like, very weird. Yeah. I, I, so I told you guys before, um, that when I started graduate school, I thought I wanted to work on, like, Second Temple Judaism and early Christianity. Um, mm-hmm. so, like, religious history in this period. Um, so my first year, I audited a class on Christianity in the Roman Empire, um, early Christianity. And, uh, my professor had to, go out of town for a week for a conference and rather Mm. than cancel class he had us watch this movie and then we talked about it when he got back um because i was one of the only grad students in the class it was like a mixed undergrad grad group he put me in Mm -hmm. charge of the dvd and of like starting up the projector in the classroom which if you've ever been Mm -hmm. put in charge of a classroom projector you know that's absolutely terrifying uh so (laughs) it was kind of so i was like tense uh about that um and making a fool out of myself in front of all this like class full of undergrads but um Mm -hmm. it all went fine but yeah i watched this movie in class when my professor was gone i was auditing so like i wasn't getting a grade for this class anyway so um kind of an odd experience and um based on my rewatch this week i think i must have paid it about the standard amount of attention that you pay a film that you watch in class um yeah because it was a lot more intense than i remembered (laughs) yeah i was gonna ask this does not seem like a great classroom watch no um like it's like watching schindler's list just like in class Mm -hmm. yeah uh which hey wait a minute we did did watch yeah we did watch schindler's list we did yeah in what class in German. german Oh no! Our, it was our. I think it was our junior year, Sam, of high school. Our, because it right. was because it was rated R, though we had to get permission slips signed by our parents in order to watch right. it. And so he was our teacher was like really on us for the whole class to get these permission slips signed so that we could watch it because he felt like it was important. Which like, yes, but also, woof! This is school. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. And yeah. if memory serves, didn't he fast forward through the nudity? Yes. Which, my guy, <laughs> n- no one, no one is getting turned on by Schindler's List. No. No one is sitting there being like, this is the nudity I crave. <laughs> and also, if you fast forward nudity, instead of covering it in any way, it's just quick nudity. 
It's still it is just quick nudity. It's yeah, there. Yeah. It's just at a at a speed that most would find undesirable, I guess. But as mm-hmm. you pointed out, in this context, yeah, no one, no one's doofa. like, ooh, you know, you know what I want to see? A bunch of sad nude people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not appealing at all. No. God almighty, I forgot about that. What a terrible idea I from know. that terrible teacher. I know. <laughs> so yeah, the movies, the, another, this is just like another in the list for me of like mm-hmm. really awful movies that I've watched in class. Um, yeah, good Lord. It, yeah. Did you have to fast forward through the uh, brief nudity in this? No, we left it. We let it play because, you know, it's college. Oh, wow. So oh, wow. Everybody's That's... a grown up. Yeah. Let That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you didn't ask anyone to cover their eyes. I did or... not. No. I just, oh. I think, I can't remember. I think he gave a disclaimer before he left town that, like, mm-hmm. there's some brief nudity and there's some violence in this movie. So, like, prepare yourselves. But, like, that was it. Then he just, like, left the country and <laughs> put the DVD in my <laughs> campus mailbox. And uh, that was that. <laughs> Can I say some <laughs> violence is underselling it? Yeah, some. Yeah. Vi- that's what I was laughing at. I love the idea of being like, this movie's kind of violent. Bombing out of the country and then leaving this in your wake is pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Like, can you imagine telling someone like three hundred? Yeah, it's it gets a little little violent. It's pretty gory. It's a little. God, you know, yeah. it's a little just, rough. Yeah, just yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Just um, wild. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Well, if we could turn for a minute to the, like, slightly happier part of this movie, the Mm -hmm. little sliver of happiness that is Hypatia. Did you guys, had you guys heard of Hypatia? Did you know anything about her before this movie? Yeah, actually a little. Okay. Um, You got that on me, Sam. I I knew nothing. And still, still kind of know nothing. I think. Yeah. So I don't recall where I learned about Hypatia of Alexandria. Um, but I, I knew that she was like a mathematician and, and was like kind of big in those circles mm. and that that was about it. Okay. Sam, are you, are okay. you sure you didn't learn it from a video game? I think, I think, no, I think I learned it. And this is actually, I think, a step worse. I think I learned it from a video game YouTuber who's a <laughs> classics major. Oh. Um, yeah. And See, so I was yeah, wondering a... if maybe you learned it from The Good Place, because Hypatia features briefly at the end of The Good Place. Oh, yeah. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's from a video game YouTuber who, again... He's he's a classics major. He, he you know he he knows some stuff. Yeah. And and I've learned some things through his videos. Um, but yeah, I think it was part of a, a video game that he was playing that I was watching. Nice. So I yeah. feel like that's worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> hey. what's what's your relationship with Hypatia? Yeah. <laughs> Hard pivot. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't really have much of a relationship with Hypatia, to be honest. Um, I think mm-hmm. I had, I think I had heard her name before I saw this movie, but this movie was like 
for a while what I knew of Hypatia. And that was, oh, and okay. also, and like the other tiny caveat that my professor tossed out at us, along with the some violence, um, was uh, that this movie like grossly exaggerates her mathematical discoveries or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew that she was like brilliant and everything and very important, but I. I didn't really know anything other than that. Um, I just okay. knew that like this movie sort of exaggerated. So it was actually kind of nice for me to go do some digging and look at sources and learn a little bit more about her and about the circles that she ran in and everything. So I'm, I learned some things. I mean, I always learn something Ooh. when I do research for these uh, episodes because like classics is huge and you can't keep it all in your head. Right. So, and I always mm-hmm. end up going down these like tangents that I didn't expect because of the, the way everything connects, but I feel like I learned more <laughs> for this episode than I did for some others. So. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Well, well I'm excited. Let's, uh, let's dig in. Let's dig in. Um, so I just, first, I just want to say a couple things about the setting of this movie because Alexandria is one of those sort of legendary places in the ancient mm-hmm. world. So the city of Alexandria in the Nile Delta in Egypt was founded by Alexander the Great in 331 BCE. So he named the city after himself. Um, he actually, he founded about 20 Alexandrias all mm-hmm. across the territory that he conquered. Uh, this is by far the most famous one and the most successful. Um And then after Alexander died and his generals divvied up the territory, the general Ptolemy got Egypt and he made Alexandria his capital. He became Ptolemy Soter, Ptolemy I. um, And that dynasty lasted almost 300 years, um, all the way down through Cleopatra um, was the last um, Ptolemaic ruler of Egypt. And uh, the Ptolemies, under the Ptolemies, Alexandria really blossomed it was i mean it was a greek colonial city but uh mm-hmm. it it very quickly became very cosmopolitan there were people from all over the mediterranean world as well as um egyptian people who lived there um and it had this just like monumental architecture everywhere you looked uh these like really grand streets in the downtown center uh the royal palace the serapeum the museum and the library, the lighthouse, which was one of the like wonders of the ancient world, right? Mm-hmm. This was an incredible, yeah. an incredible city. And uh, actually, there's a passage in one of the Greek novels that we talked about before where oh, the yeah. hero ends up in Alexandria and he's like, he's just so enraptured when he first walks into the city and he describes the beauty of the city of Alexandria the same way he describes the beauty of women that he encounters in the novel he's just like so mm-hmm. enchanted by the city so it, it like really had an effect on people and it was uh, a pretty pretty unusual place in the ancient world um and of course the library plays a very big role in agora um yeah. so i want to just say a couple of things about the library and the museon uh the museon is a place dedicated to the muses so the latin word is museum um and this is, Musea existed wherever there was a place with like literary or educational significance. The Museon in Alexandria is the most famous one. It's founded by Ptolemy I. Um, and 
a former pupil of Aristotle, who was one of his advisors, a guy named Demetrius, gets put in charge of, of establishing the Museon, and he becomes the first librarian. Um, and it's basically this group of scholars whose very generous salaries are paid by the Ptolemies. And then later, when Egypt is annexed as a Roman, pro uh, Roman province, the Caesars continue to pay these people's salaries. So they're like, mm -hmm. it's like state-funded scholarship. The papyrus records that we have from this time indicate that the discussions and the research that was done by Museon scholars really helped to stabilize a lot of texts, especially Homer, um, meaning, you know, you have different versions of a text floating around out there um, with mm -hmm. oral compositions like Homer. This happens a lot, especially. So the, uh, the scholars at the Museon gathered all these together, examined them, studied them, and made like a core quote-unquote correct text of Homer. Oh, shit. They established that. Um, the museum's also very famous for scientific research. Um, and then the library was a separate entity, but they were close together, both really close to the palace. The library was the largest and most extensive collection of texts in the ancient world. Um, it was originally conceived of as a universal library, meaning the goal was to get a copy of everything ever written in the known world, which, you know, it's doubtful that they actually managed that, mm -hmm. but they made quite a dent in that goal. Uh, the estimates from antiquity of how many texts they had range from 200,000 to 700,000 texts. Good God. Yeah. So they have, I mean, there's, we have lists. Um, we have a couple of like basically early library catalogs um, of, what they had um, in in the early days when the library was sort of very first starting out, um, and they just had an incredible wealth of stuff. Um, the library had book buyers who would travel throughout the Mediterranean world and buy books and bring mm -hmm. them back, uh, including you know different versions of the same text. So you'd get like local right. flavors of Homer and things like that. Um, they so they were very systematic about it. There's also like rumors that they were kind of ruthless and shady in their attempts to get these texts. So okay. there's like this one anecdote. It might be exaggerated. It probably is exaggerated, but it, it's, it's there that um, when a ship would arrive in the harbor at Alexandria, it would be searched by city officials and any books found on the ship would be confiscated. The scribes at the library would make a copy mm. and then they would give back the copy and keep the original. <laughs> Whether oh, this is true, good. we don't know. But uh, the library was like a really incredible collection. The scholarly output, the just like the intellectual community of Alexandria was really incredible. Um, the, the library actually burnt multiple times in its history, which I mean... An ancient building full of papyrus that isn't really surprising mm -hmm. uh but uh it the second round of the library after after some fires and other things uh was housed in the serapeum and that one was destroyed survived until 391 ce which is when the bishop theophilus led a mob to destroy the serapeum and build a church over the site um which leads me sam to Something that you have to teach yeah. us about today. So, um, all of this comes with the caveat 
that I, I am not a classics person or a history person. My background is public health and psychology. So this is just like nerd Sam with some information that he had in a book at home and also that I could find online. So uh, I'm not an expert. Uh, however, I'm about to talk like I am one. Um, I want to talk about uh, Serapis, Serapis, however you however you want to go about it. Um, the the uh, Greco-Egyptian god. Uh, to to get there though, we got to talk about Egyptian gods, and um, this is a little complicated because you know how like American culture has kind of changed a lot, and like American ideals has changed a lot since like the 1700s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, Egyptian history is like two and a half thousand years. So your your concepts kind of change. Your gods become kind of malleable. Um, and so, like, we have, like, kind of broad notions of, of gods. So, um, like, like, we know Osiris. We know Isis. They're, um, you know, Osiris is kind of the god of, of the dead, uh, sort of. Um, Isis is his consort. Um, their son is, uh, Horus, I believe. And, um, so, so you've got that, but then you've got this, like, notion of, like, syncretism, where they just start mashing gods together. So we know Amun, we know Ra, at some point they just went, ah, they're the same. Mm. It's Amun-Ra now. And so we have that happen with Osiris, and this god, sort of, um, Apis, Hmm. Which, um, it's, again, uh, it's a little confusing. Um, Apis, like, is sort of a god, but typically Apis is just a very special bull. Um, that, like, priests would go out and look for a very special bull. Um, that had, like, very specific markings, and this was supposed to be the, like, physical embodiment of the god Ptah. Uh, P-T-A-A-H. Um, and Ptah is like the creator god, so like think more like craftspeople hmm. rather than like uh, like sort of like Genesis god sort of mm-hmm. thing, I think. So um, the, the Apis bull would be in Memphis, um, and they just would like kind of lavish the, the bull with a, a very nice life, uh, and then afterward... Uh, when, when it died, they would, uh, like, actually, like, embalm it and bury it in, like, a, a sarcophagus. And it would oh, go shit. to... Yeah. And it would go to a... Um, they had, like, a tomb uh, in this necropolis at Saqqara, I think, that's outside of, of Memphis. And that, weirdly enough, was called the Serapeum. <laughs> so... So we have two different Serapea. Okay. Um, we've got the Serapeum that's full of dead bulls. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got the Serapeum that's um, a temple to Serapis. So that's a little strange. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, w- at one point in time, um, Osiris and Apis got smushed together into uh, Osirapis. 
Um, and so that was just kind of a, you know, your, your like catch-all god, I guess, for that. Okay. The other interesting thing about Egyptians in Egyptian history is that, like, like when we think about like Greek history in like ancient Greece, like our pantheon of gods, pretty pretty set in stone as far as like these are your Greek gods. Egyptian history does not really do that because there's a lot of intermingling with like outside groups, um, foreign, you know, like civilizations. Uh, and so their gods got kind of involved and pretty accepted. And mm. so, um, uh, like, even at one point in time, Egypt was just ruled by foreign, like, kings for a while. Huh. So, like, this just kind of happens. And so, like, particularly, um, like, gods from the area of, like, Syria, Palestine, um, are just like kind of accepted. So so uh, gods like Reshef or Kadesh or Baal um, are just like some gods that people are cool with. And so you'll have Egyptians who kind of accept all of them as like valid gods, if you will. Um, funnily enough, there's a there's a picture in this book here of uh, is it a stele? Oh, I, right? I think I've usually heard it steely, but it's one of those words steely. I always see written. You know, so well. yeah. <laughs> okay, um, there's one of those uh, that a a Persian living in Egypt like commissioned or whatever, and um, it's a Persian god who looks very Persian, but in the like Egyptian like bas relief style. Oh, nice! So it's kind of fascinating to just see this like intermingling of culture. Anyway, um, so. So again, uh, uh, Alexander comes in, uh, founds a city, Alexandria, and then the the Ptolemies come, and um, uh, Ptolemy the first is like, I know, I know how to get people on board with the Greeks. I'm gonna make a god, and this is a purely political move where he goes, Egyptians smush all their gods together. I'm going to take kind of a handful of Greek gods and I'm going to smush them into one of their pre-smushed gods. <laughs> and so so what Ptolemy does is uh, he he takes uh, Zeus, Dionysus, and sort of uh, uh, Hades and goes, you're now the same thing as uh, Osirapis. And now you're Serapis. Hmm. Uh, but, and, but, like, Greeks did not, were not big on the, like, animal head god. So they were like, no, he looks like one of our Greek gods. But they're, like, um, little, like, references to, to Egyptian gods. Like, there's a snake sometimes around, like, his feet, which is, like, a, a the Uraeus. There's, like, a sign of, like, royalty and stuff like that. Hmm. So, um... So yeah, he just like it was a purely political move. So so to give you an idea, it would be like if um oh, I don't know, like Tibet colonized the United States and we got our first Buddhist Tibetan monk president who said, "No more Jesus. It's Beezus." <laughs> and and he's a guy who can turn water into wine, take a little bit of bread, 
and and some fish and make lunch for a lot of people. And also, uh, he can sit quietly under a tree for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, this is one guy now, and this is all our god, and and like it it sounds like it kind of worked. Uh, the the people actually went like, okay, yeah, this is fine. Um, so so let me let me see if I've got because I know there was something else. Um, now. I will say, there's some question as to whether, like, Ptolemy actually, like, invented Serapis. Um, Tacitus actually says, no, there was a town kind of down near Memphis where they would just worship Serapis. Hmm. But I I would imagine Ptolemy probably, like, popularized it. Or him. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and it was definitely this, like, very deliberate merging of these gods. Um, and then... Serapis was given um, the Sarah Chthonic, Chthonic, Chthonic. Yeah, it's a hard Chthonic. ch. Yeah, powers. So like that's why people are like, oh, he's also sort of Hades. Okay. Yeah. Um. But uh. But yeah, and so they they made Isis his consort to kind of bridge that gap. And then, interestingly enough, Vespasian was a huge fan uh, of Serapis. And, like, um, had, like, credited uh, Serapis with, like, um, like, some good shit that happened in his life. He was like, nah, that was this guy. (laughs) So, um, so, yeah, that's how to invent a god for politics. I love that. Yeah, that was yeah. dope. Thank you. I because it showed up in the movie, and I was like, I know that. I have I have a big book about ancient Egypt here, which is, uh, folks, in, in case you're wondering, the Ex- Encyclopedia of Ancient Egypt, which is edited by Helen Strudwick, and it's a it's a great little read. And by little, I mean it's quite large. Nice. Everybody loves a big book. Oh, it's a big book. Read read a lot of it while I was unemployed. Nice. Well, it paid what off. What else are you gonna do? It paid off now on our history podcast when you watched yeah. uh, this movie and then became a mm-hmm. fountain of knowledge. Thank you, Sam. You're welcome. I'm. I don't hold me to any of this because again, this is not my field. I do public health. We'll hold Doctor Strudwick to this. Yes, definitely. <laughs> this is her fault. <laughs> Well, that is awesome. Thank you, Sam. You're welcome. I love it. Um, okay, so we should talk about Hypatia a little bit. Yes. Um, and then I did also look up information about Cyril and Orestes, who are like the other two main, mm-hmm. a- like actual historical figures in this um, movie, Agora. Uh, we can we can get to them if we get to them. We'll get to them a little bit in the process of talking about Hypatia. Okay. But Hypatia's sort of the star um rachel weiss does portray her after all so mm-hmm. um hypatia is from alexandria we know that she died in 415 ce uh in rather spectacular fashion but her birth date is unknown so she was anywhere from being between 40 and 60 when she died we just don't know okay but she's she's roughly middle-aged at the time that she dies in 415. 
Um, she is a polymath. So she's a mathematician. She's an astronomer. She's also a philosopher. Um, now for us, philosophy is housed with the humanities, right? And then the sciences mm-hmm. do their own thing. In antiquity, the disciplines weren't divided up in that way. Um, philosophy really went hand in hand with natural sciences because both are trying to explain the phenomena of the natural of the natural world that we see around us and what it means mm-hmm. for our lives. So um, there wasn't actually that much separation between philosophy and and um, natural science observing the natural world. So she did all these things. Um, her father was also a mathematician. He was a guy named Theon. Hypatia revised his works for him. <laughs> okay. uh, she also wrote commentaries of her own on the um, two mathematicians. One is a guy named Diophantus who wrote a treatise on algebra. One was a guy named Apollonius who wrote on conical geometry. So they sort of have a nod to this in the movie with the Apollonian cone that she uses to Mm, teach conical geometry. Um, We know that she wrote a commentary on Apollonius. Uh, Sadly, both of her works are lost. We know that she wrote them, but we don't have them anymore, Um, which is a real shame. Um, We also know that she was a very influential teacher of Neoplatonist philosophy. And that she had a a huge following, Um, a lot of people who came to her lectures and, you know, thought that she was really um, a big influence in the intellectual community and the philosophical community in Alexandria. Um, From the few sources that we have, it seems like she was almost universally admired um, for her rhetorical skill, as well as her knowledge in these other disciplines. Mm-hmm. And that she did, in fact, cultivate, or or politicians rather, cultivated relationships with her, and that she she sort of did as much as she could do in the role of a of a political advisor without actually holding any sort of title. Right? Women aren't allowed officially in politics in the ancient world, but she sort of she does everything without the actual job title basically nice. uh, because everybody wants to know her opinion and everybody wants her approval because she's so beloved and so important in the city um even after the destruction of the serapeum in 391 uh it and and then the forced conversion of the empire to christianity in 392 the emperor uh theodosius outlawed traditional roman religion in 392. So everybody's required to convert, or at least required to not do pagan worship anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. Even after this, it seems like the bishop Theophilus tolerated Hypatia's school. Hmm. It's possible that this is because she was so popular that like he knew he didn't have the backing to go toe-to-toe with her publicly. Um don't really know. I mean, Theophilus was a little bit of a, a zealot himself. Um, not as bad mm-hmm. as his nephew, but he did hold some pretty extreme views. So, you know, it's it's hard to know exactly why he didn't go after Hypatia, but he didn't. He just, that wasn't a, the particular way that he wanted to rock the boat. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, Hypatia went on to continue to have close personal relationships with lots of politicians. Um a lot of her pupils um, went on to be very important in the city. So the in the movie, 
Um, I think the actor's name is Rupert Evans. He's he's Frank Frank in Man in the High Castle. Uh, <laughs> he he plays uh, Synesius of Cyrene, who was a, a student of Hypatia's and then goes on to become a, a bishop in the Christian church. We have some letters that Synesius wrote to Hypatia. Sadly, we don't have any of her replies to him. Um, and it, it sort of sounds like from some of his later letters that she stopped answering. And it's not really mm. clear why. It's possible that like she knew she was falling out of favor with the like Christian elite in Alexandria. So she didn't mm-hmm. want to like drag him into any like cause trouble for him um, and like his position. But um, but his letters to her are like so effusive. He worships her. He just thinks she's incredible and he so values her opinion and her approval. Um, and just like, he's just like falling over himself to tell her how great she is and how much he loves her. <laughs> um, we also, so that, so that's contemporary. We have another source, a guy named Damascus, who's writing about a hundred years after Hypatia dies. Um, and he is the one who tells the story of a student who kept trying to court her and she kept telling him she wasn't interested and he kept at her. Oh yeah. She never married. That wasn't, that's another interesting thing about her. Um, and probably Mm. the reason she was able to have the influence that she had was because, um, once you have a husband, you're not allowed to do things like that. Um, so she never married. Um, but the student keeps trying to court her. He just won't take no for an answer. Finally, she gives him her bloody menstrual rags and she's like, okay, this is what you love, but you don't love beauty for its own sake. So she's, so what that's, that's the quote that Damascus says. So meaning like she's trying to teach him, she's trying to teach him Neoplatonist philosophy, right? She's trying to teach him about the one and like pursuing good and beauty for its own sake because it, because it deserves it, right? Because it's so valuable and because it will just like enrich your life and make you a better person. And what he wants is to possess her as his wife, right? So she's mm-hmm. saying, like, you're not getting what I'm trying to teach you here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like, this is a move that, like, I wish I had known about in, like, middle school. <laughs> <laughs> it I definitely just, sends a message. Mm-hmm. It does. It's so badass. Um, so... So things are really good for Hypatia, right? She's very well respected. She has this great position uh, in society. But then Theophilus, the bishop, dies in 412. And his nephew, Cyril, succeeds him. And Cyril is even more of a violent zealot than Theophilus. So Cyril, uh, (laughs) I mean, really, Cyril is proof that becoming a saint in antiquity is absolutely meaningless. Like all you had to do was make a name for yourself. You didn't actually have to be a good person at mm-hmm. all. Cyril is like the epitome of everything that's wrong with Christianity and like the organized church, even, even back then. Uh, but he became a saint, um, I think fairly quickly. Uh, so mm-hmm. he's the worst. Um, when he became Bishop, he, reversed the centuries like literally like 700 years of religious tolerance in alexandria like we mentioned before i think in the life of brian episode that there was a big jewish community in alexandria that had been there since the beginning and everybody had always gotten along 
And even in the fourth century, like Christians and Jews and traditional folks who like follow traditional religion, they're all still getting along. Like maybe there are some more tensions as the Christians gain more power, but like for the most part, everything's still okay. Mm -hmm. Cyril throws all of that out the window. He leads a mob to like attack Jews at the synagogue. This, the like Jews have no warning that this is coming. It's so out of left field. And it like, it's this huge mob that descends upon them all of a sudden they have no means of defending themselves or their synagogue. They just have to flee if they don't want to be like killed and the synagogue is raised to the ground. And then Cyril, you know, Cyril, he's a religious authority figure. There is a governor, a prefect of Egypt who has like secular governmental control, right? This is Orestes mm -hmm. um, at the time. Uh, if anybody's going to be expelled from the city, that's Orestes' job as the governor. Cyril takes it upon himself to expel the Jews from Alexandria. Oh, Okay. Cool. And because he has mob violence on his side, there's not really anything Orestes can do. Like everything we know about Orestes, which isn't much, but what we do know about him is that he cultivated close, productive working relationships with high up members of every like faction in Alexandria. He had close relationships with like the top rabbis in town. He had close relationships. Well, he not with Cyril, but, you know, he had a good working relationship with Theophilus before. He had good working relationships with traditional pagans. Like, Orestes was a baptized Christian, but he seems like the kind of person who really understood his job as a secular authority figure that, like, he needs to govern for everybody, right? And mm -hmm. make sure that everybody is thriving and getting along and keeping the peace. Uh, and Cyril just, like, ruins that. So there's this, like, mounting feud between Cyril and Orestes. Orestes is attacked in the street by a monk who's, like, part of Theophilus or part of Cyril's gang. Um, the people of Alexandria come to his rescue, but they're, like, beating the shit out of Orestes. Um, and he's, like, because they think he's not, like, Christian enough. And he's, like, I was baptized by the Archbishop of Constantinople. So, like, that's, yeah, that's pretty, pretty good. good. But because he's, like, friends with Hypatia and because he's, like, he doesn't want to expel the Jews or, like, murder them, suddenly he's not Christian enough. So they're, like, attacking him in the street. It's a whole thing. Orestes then has that monk arrested and, like, publicly tortured uh, to sort of, like, try to reassert his authority. So things are just, like, escalating between him and Cyril. Mm -hmm. And it seems like this is a large part of why... Hypatia ended up murdered because Orestes and Hypatia had a close relationship. Orestes depended on her advice and everybody knew it. And people saw Hypatia and her influence as the reason that Orestes either couldn't or wouldn't reconcile with Cyril. So in this like very twisted mindset uh, a Christian mob that is egged on by Cyril attacks Hypatia in the street. She is beaten to death. She is literally torn limb from limb. Like her body is dismembered and she's burned in, in this public squares. Um, at which point Orestes says, okay, I'm done. And he resigns and he leaves Alexandria and like, we don't know what happens. He like, he's never heard from again. He just like goes into hiding. Um, nice. 
So, yeah, Cyril has control at that point. Um, and Hypatia uh, is done, which is really tragic. Um, yeah, so that's like super depressing. Uh, mm-hmm. And and so like Hypatia was so brilliant and like clearly still at the top of her game. So I think the fact that Cyril had such a large influence and at least in the short term, Cyril's on the winning side, right, of history. Mm-hmm. I I feel like this has to have something to do with why we don't have Hypatia's works anymore. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of works from antiquity that we don't have. You know, Sophocles mm-hmm. wrote a hundred tragedies and we only have like seven of them. Uh, you know, things just get lost. There are fires. <laughs> there are worms right. that eat through manuscripts, right? God only knows what happened to Hypatia's works, but given the political climate and the manner of her death, I feel like that has to be part of why we don't have her commentaries anymore. Um, I do. Th- I think it's important to note she was a brilliant mathematician, a brilliant philosopher. She did not figure out planetary orbits. Mm. Mm, okay. <laughs> so that's where I was saying this movie like grossly exaggerates her astronomy discoveries um Mm -hmm. there's just no way uh (laughs) it is true that um a heliocentric model of the universe had been proposed in Mm -hmm. antiquity but there's like no way of proving it um it was this guy named aristarchus um and another guy philolaus um in the 5th and 3rd centuries BCE, who proposed that the Earth was revolving around a cosmic fire of some kind. Um, So, you know, again, this is where, like, astronomy and, like, philosophy slash religion are all sort of intertwined. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) We're we're rotating around the cosmic fire. Um, But, yeah, the, like, the elliptical orbits of the planets, um, Johannes Kepler, I think, is the one who actually mm-hmm. figured that out. Like, Copernicus proposed it. Kepler found the mathematical model. Galileo observed it with a telescope and confirmed that model. This is, like, Renaissance and after is when humanity figured this out. <laughs> yeah. There is, uh, there is, I mean, obviously there's no way to disprove it, right? Because we don't have what mm-hmm. she wrote. So we can't, like, 100% say, but we can, like, 99% say <laughs> sure. that 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 part's just totally made up. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, I have a uh, a quick question. Mm-hmm. Um, so while I was looking up some stuff about um Serapis, think uh places kept referring to um Theophilus and and I guess also then Cyril as the Pope or the Patriarch, Patriarch. Is that yeah. different from the bishop, or is it all kind of the same? Is it just sort of higgledy piggledy? It's a little so. It's a little higgledy piggledy. Um, I believe the the bishopric of Alexandria was actually an archbishop position. Ah. Uh, so that's sort of why um, patriarch gets used instead. Um, the term mm-hmm. patriarch is still used in uh, the Orthodox Church today. Yeah. Um, and so. And like the Pope is, Pope isn't his actual title, right? He's officially, he's the Bishop of Rome. So mm-hmm. um, the Pope is sort of like a title of respect that means father. Um, and so uh, it's a little, I mean, 
the the church hierarchy is only partially established at this point mm-hmm. and there's a lot more um like infighting between different groups of christians than uh, a lot of like mainline christians today would want you to believe uh mm-hmm. there's a so this is another thing that makes cyril really radical is that he is also persecuting other christian sects like non-orthodox christian groups um in addition to jews and pagans and everybody else um he's intolerant of other christians who aren't part of his church so gotcha. uh yeah so it's an archbishop which at this point seems to be like interchangeable with patriarch gotcha okay. and yeah i'm not i'm church hierarchy is crazy um mm-hmm. like even today uh like catholic and orthodox churches have very strict hierarchies um but they're still like a little you would think with with they're really strict they'd be like really clear and straightforward but at least to me they're not <laughs> <laughs> right yeah Sorry, there was something else that I wrote down that I thought I had a question about, but I'm struggling. Oh, um, wh- why, uh, this may be on the bounds of our, our podcast. Why, why were Christians so threatened by a heliocentric? You got me. Okay. I mean, I know they were, like, Galileo was excommunicated for it, so clearly right. it touched a nerve. But I, I- don't really i I think i think i have an answer yes please do i I have no idea i believe the idea was that god created the earth as the center of the universe like this is uh like the earth and humanity are god's most uh treasured creation Mm -hmm. so therefore the universe has to be centered around the earth clearly Uh, yeah and if it's not then we're not special Right, exactly. So if it's centered okay. around the sun, yeah, exactly. It's not special. So, yeah. Okay. I believe that's the answer. I would re- humbly request one grease lightning point in exchange for the, or oh. not in exchange, but in contrast to the roughly 10,000 points I think you earned for your Serapis stuff <laughs> earlier, Sam. <laughs> uh, Luke, I, I think you get like 15 grease lightning points for that. Yeah, nice, that's like, surely. That's awesome, and that totally makes sense to me. Yeah, it just it it seems like since uh for a long time uh there's a lot of like kind of fudging of the rules in the text that they could yeah. also be like actually just saw over here, it's cool, it's fine. <laughs> We're still special if we revolve around the sun. <laughs> um, but I guess that would have been too decent. Yeah. 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 Uh, Oh, one more thing that's sort of a segue into um, Mm -hmm. the just horrible people in this movie. Um, The Parabolani were real. Um, This was something I, it was a word I hadn't heard before, so I had to go Mm -hmm. look it up. Um, They have an entry in the Oxford Dictionary of Byzantium, which I think makes them real. Uh, So (laughs) they were, um, they were like... They were basically like nurses' aides, like hospital aides. They did a lot of like caring for the sick and the dying, which mm-hmm. um, in the ancient world where they don't know what germs are and they don't have 
indoor plumbing, um, caring for the sick very quickly becomes like you catching everything and dying. So it was like a very dangerous and like that part of it Mm -hmm. is like a very noble undertaking. And so it, it's a group that was very attractive to sort of like basically desperate people that didn't have anything else to do. So like this dangerous job, they're willing to undertake this very dangerous job because they don't have any other way to make a living. Right. So Mm. they did that. But they were also, like, because they were associated with the church in this, like, caring for the sick, they were also used basically as, like, personal militias of the bishops. Uh, oh. They were, like, highly fanatical in their yeah. religion. So, like, the way they're portrayed in the movie sounds like was pretty accurate. Like, hmm. like just horrible violence in the street in the name of christianity or like their like particular fanatical version of it um Mm -hmm. was like fully supported by church officials cool Cool, yeah cool cool super stuff woof yeah there's a lot of really horrible religious violence in this movie Mm mm-hmm yeah, are we yeah. are we hard like pivoting was, if, to the movie at this point, or do we have <laughs> do we have any other safe, uh, comfy that's historical all the, like, facts to that's get? That's all through? the information I have. Okay, cool. <laughs> that's all the information so, I have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we can talk about was, how awful people are. Yeah, I was really hoping that large swaths of this movie were historically inaccurate, and like as far as the violence and zealots and stuff were concerned but it sounds like no um and like yeah i thought the ending was brutal i it doesn't even hold a candle to no. the reality of what happened to hypatia that's insane jesus yeah. um yeah. it was awful yeah yeah so so i watched this movie Mere minutes after I woke up at um, at five thirty in the morning, and unlike Folgers, Agra is not the best part of waking up. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's a weird way to start the day. Yeah. 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 Should we? Should we? Was we're we're all on the same page with this one, right? Um, this one's a toughie. Uh, yeah, yeah yes. though, okay, it's good, though. Hmm. I See, I would say that it's like, I wasn't bored. Hmm. Sarah, you like you disagree. Dr. Sarah Hills Britton, I need you to weigh in on this before I weigh in on this. <laughs> I think I'm going to end up being in between you guys. Um, I have, like, sort of complicated feelings about this movie. Mm -hmm. um, Because, like, Hypatia. Holy shit. Nobody talks about Hypatia. And, like, Mm -hmm. once you know about her, you start to see the glaring absence of her everywhere. Um, And it's, like, wonderful that somebody wanted to make a movie about this amazing person. Mm -hmm. But then, like if you want to talk about Hypatia, you have to talk about all this other awful stuff. And then like, you know, this movie, this movie had a $70 million budget. 
It's Good like Lord. very much in the tradition of like this guy was trying to do like a Ten Commandments Ben Hur mm-hmm. type thing, right? Like old Hollywood epics. Um, so like I think the idea of this movie is better than the execution of this movie, if that makes sense. Mm. Like yeah. I love what yeah. this I I like portions of this movie, and it's definitely like you said, Sam. Definitely not bored. Um, mm-hmm. but I feel like this, like it didn't live up to the potential of its subject matter and it's yeah fucking enormous budget <laughs> yeah so yeah, grossed, in that way it's like and it is just like hard to watch yeah yeah and it grossed 35 million dollars i want to say domestically Ooh, um, hate to see that hate to see that yeah that definitely. hurts yeah <laughs> um, I mean, I, so yeah Mm-hmm. So like, I I I think you're right that it is not by any means like an incredible flick or anything. I th- I think what gets me is that like this period of history at in this area to me is always really interesting because it is that like smish smash of of cultures. Um, could do without the religious violence. That part's um not fun. Um. And, and pretty fucking grim but in in terms of just like I don't know like the the setting of you know like you've got like all this Greek stuff but then you have like these very very old you know like Egyptian like statues and, and all of that that you know would have been there for what like two thousand years two and a half thousand years by the time you know these people are there and so like I don't know all of that fascinates me but um it's not I I'll put it to you this way. Yeah. Is it a good movie? Is the question. Well, I want to walk away from it, wander into the desert, never hear of it again, and just burn all the memories I have of it to the ground, and then I can live happy. So is it a good now, movie? Maybe. Is that, <laughs> is that because thing. it's unpleasant? Yes, because it's deeply yeah. unpleasant. Yeah. But I will give you, like, there were many yeah. shots where it would pop up and be like, man, the cinematography on this thing's real good. Yeah. Or whatever. Or the performances are great. It's just so, I don't know. I was uh, deeply triggered by this film, I would say. Which maybe is a good thing. Maybe more people should see this and see early infighting zealot uh, Christianity and get like a different perspective on it. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's like you guys watching Schindler's List in your German class. It's important to see that movie. Um, yeah. I don't know that I want to watch it again and again. Um, no, I, I would not watch it again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but But yeah, I think I would recommend it. Um, with like a couple asterisks, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I think I would recommend it. Though, Sarah, you do bring up the the good point of like, I, I a little bit. I think it does do a disservice to Hypatia. Yeah, like you could cut her out of the movie, and you wouldn't lose like a whole lot if her part feels like a like a B plot. Yeah, which you know is like. I feel like that's a really telling thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because I was reading about this a little bit and like the director sort of became fascinated with like the history of astronomy and then he like found out about mm -hmm. Hypatia and he became fascinated with like Hypatia and ancient Alexandria. So in the director's mind, this, the like star of this movie is astronomy. No. And like the no. beauty of astronomy <laughs> and the universe. Can you fucking believe that? This no. is Did his he... ode to astronomy? Did he see his own movie? God, I I don't know. I don't know what the hell's wrong with this man. Well, for starters, he's a man. So <laughs> already starting a couple steps behind. It's true. Yeah. Um, Very true. I'll say this. I feel like they really did a disservice to Hypatia because the lesson she gave us, Sarah, made it very clear that Hypatia was very valued amongst politicians in her community. And you kind of get that sense, but like there's a scene towards the end of the movie where she's confronting a lot of the, I don't know what to call them, uh, the like city council, the like, um, mm -hmm. the big group yeah. of dudes. Um, yeah. And it almost feels like, why is she here? But it sounds like she had every right yeah. to be, that she would have been there very naturally. But we just don't see that through the rest of the movie. So when she shows up, you're kind of like, man, you're really like stepping outside your comfort zone here. Uh, when in fact, you, it wasn't the case at all. You yeah. know what it had the vibe of? What's that? It had the vibe of like the recurring characters in Parks and Rec who would show up at like the town hall meetings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> where it's just like oh yep here's that guy yeah and like that's kind of how the like city council seemed to to receive her is just like okay she's gonna do her whole spiel yeah and then we'll move on yeah which yeah that sucks yeah and i think i think it, that's not you make a really good point luke and i think it's not helped by the fact that we jump from she is a lecturer trying to save books in the Serapeum, we jump then 20 years to she and Orestes are buddies and she's giving him advice with like mm -hmm. no context yeah. of what has happened in between. Like he yeah, says some sure. years later and it's like, bro, it is 24 years later and you well, haven't and told us anything about what she's doing now. <laughs> yeah. And what's buck wild is that it does give us like, you know, some like title cards or whatever for for that in between and it doesn't say anything about what she's been doing instead it says some stuff including quote complicated by the presence of the jews which does feel like kind of how a lot of people view us mm -hmm. um <laughs> yeah about that because <laughs> I, I was like i say you to you again I say to you again, 700 years of no one having a problem with the Jews mm -hmm. in Alexandria. Everyone is fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> like... I I do love the um, interesting little syntactical trick by that, where it's like the Jews showed up and then there was a problem. I like, know. Mm -hmm. and like, Things were fine, <laughs> except the Jews, though. <laughs> He does it at the beginning too. The opening title cards say something about like Judaism is chat is like challenging paganism in Alexandria. It's like mm -hmm. if that were gonna happen, it happened like literally hundreds and hundreds of years ago. 
when the city was founded. Like, this is no longer an issue in the 390s. <laughs> <laughs> like, they yeah, had it had... out and they're all okay with it. Like, yeah, they're yeah we've had a couple wars about this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. But I want to, I want to pivot to some questions I had for y'all that mm-hmm. are going to be more fun. Okay. Oh, good. We need that. Okay. We see a scene where Hypatia is in a bathtub. She gets up and she's toweled off by her slaves. Removing the slavery part. Okay? This is important. Yes. No slavery involved in this scenario. Would you like to be toweled off by someone? (laughs) Oh, man. That would really depend on the someone. Yes. Mm. Yes, Sam, I'm trying to Hugh give this Jackman. a good faith. Okay. Now we're talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, immediately, yes. But that's yes. such a specific scenario that, mm-hmm. that I don't think it well, does that's... the question any service. Like, I think it's... the question is more interesting in the broad sense. Yeah, it's the opening sentence of my new fanfic, so I kind of wanted to see if that's, <laughs> like, working. You got um, it. Go with okay, it. Okay, <laughs> cool. Um, but, yeah, let's just say a trusted person. I don't know, man. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, I keep thinking, like, would I want, would I want my wife to towel me off? And the answer I keep coming back to is no. Yeah. No, that's strange. See, I was trying to work with it at the like base level. Like, would it be pleasing to have someone else just like, you know, manage the towel and remove the mm-hmm. moisture from your body? Would that act feel physically satisfying? I don't think so. No. 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 Uh-uh. Mm-mm. It's got which Again, begs the question, why was she so comfortable with it? Because she seems pretty at ease. Especially Ooh. with, like, dudes. I mean, mm-hmm. that's yeah. that's one thing that really took me out of it. Like, she would have women attendants yeah. for, like, dealing with things that happen when you're naked. She mm-hmm. wouldn't have dudes doing that. You wouldn't um, have yeah. Davis? No Davis. No. <laughs> I, which, I'm sorry, I... You could have picked any name mm-hmm. that sounded roughly ancient, <laughs> and oh, you no, went. Oh, that's real though. Oh, okay, that is, this is real. A, this is a little like yeah. This is um in Roman comedies, especially. There's like lot you often slave characters in Roman comedy, and they're mm-hmm. often named Davis. Oh. Oh, okay. This is like okay. a, a standard sort of like if you, it's like the John Smith of slave names, basically. Gotcha. In the Roman world. Okay, because I was going to say Davis is pretty... I know, pretty... it just sounds... And it's the way they pronounce it, too. Like, if they had said Davis, it would be different. Yeah. <laughs> right, but it's always like, hey, Davis. Yeah, what's yeah. up, Davis? It's, it, every time it just sounds like, Davis, get on the field! <laughs> Quarterback's out! <laughs> okay, so we've roundly rejected the idea of being towed off yes. unless it's Hugh Jackman or a similar mm-hmm. stand-in. Um, yeah yes yeah okay um okay here's the other we get a scene where some people are using the toilet yeah um i love this by the way 
It's it was a amazing. big bank of toilets. And I have a question, Sarah. Okay. I'm pretty sure we saw, saw the slop stick, as I'm going to call it. <laughs> was I correct? Did you clock it? I didn't clock it, but I was oh, also I like fighting with my streaming service, so I may have missed oh. it. You clocked the you clocked the stick? The slop stick, yeah, it's in there. Oh. And yeah. it it looks worse than I imagined. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> well Sam, the best part is that the guy is holding it and he's doing that thing you do on the toilet when things aren't going great and you're just sort of uh, Right, staring into the middle distance, but he's spinning the stick. I like that he's just sort of like yeah, it's just sort of playing with it. He's just playing with it. <laughs> yeah, which of course people were sick back then all the time. <laughs> Maybe he was like working up the nerve to use it. <laughs> yeah, he's just like I gotta, I uh, gotta. Uh, it's still damp. Um, so my question for both of you is minus the slapstick what's your read on this sort of bank of open toilets ooh I think I'm going to have a different answer than you guys because men's restrooms have urinals that are often just like out there and women's Mm -hmm. restrooms don't right yeah, Luke, where are you at? I will say this. Mm-hmm. The first time I visited a European country where mm-hmm. they don't have urinals, sometimes they have full stalls with actual doors, not the weird like American, like there's a gap in the door bullshit, like full closing stalls. Oh my god, the breath of fresh air that that is to have an enclosed oh, yeah. space to do what you need to do. Uh, a private little home away from home. I would never go back. If I could have that all the time, always. Super mm-hmm. into that. So Sam, roundly rejecting the big bank of toilets. Uh, not a fan. I have seen the light. Yeah, um, I've gone on public record saying I hate a urinal. I yeah. abhor it. It's uncomfortable. I don't like it. I don't like feeling exposed. It's bizarre. Um, yeah, and, can I just uh, say, like, as a, as someone who has never used a urinal, um, uh, I'm wh- so why, very jealous. Why did men decide that they wanted to be able to like see each other sure. in their business? You know, it's a question as old as time. <laughs> I mean, I really wish I had an answer for you. I don't. Yeah. Um, I, quite honestly, I think dudes like pissing on walls. Um, well, the best part or the best example of this, I think we've roundly rejected as a society in 2023. But it's like if you went to old ballpark stadiums, the trough, like the trough. It would just be a big yeah. trough with water. Run- it's essentially Roman architecture. Like just a big trough yeah. with water running through it. And you would all sort of evacuate into the trough. So yeah. I think, yeah, to answer your question again, Sam, I think as a society, even the dudes of the world, uh, even the people who like to pee on walls have kind of decided that the big bank of toilets, no good. Mm-hmm. 
Jesus you, Sarah, Christ. your face is priceless. Yeah. I am it, so it, uncomfortable <laughs> right now. I am the person Wait. who, like, hides in the stall until people in the other women in the bathroom have left so that I can yeah. like come out then like I don't want to interact with anyone when oh, I'm doing yeah, my no. business mm-hmm. uh. <laughs> so you didn't know about the trough judging by your reaction here oh uh, god no <laughs> yeah <laughs> I wish I You're... could go back to 90 seconds ago when I didn't know about yeah. the trough <laughs> did you know Sarah sometimes the bottom of the trough is just ice Mm. Why? Yeah. Why? I don't. I don't. Cause everyone knows cold piss is cleaner than hot piss. Yeah. It I literally guess. is like Roman engineering. Oh. Like, yes, Flavius, we'll make a trough and we'll make it cold. <laughs> and like, it's it's wild because now that I'm thinking about it, there's not even like different spots for you to go. Like, you know, at least urinals, it's like, you know, you're not necessarily like hip to hip with someone so but theoretically like... <laughs> someone could come like right up to you oh yeah like right up to you mm-hmm. oh my fucking god you could, th- you could be given a side hug and pee <laughs> you could <laughs> i love that it's like that meme with the urinals where the guy comes in and stands right next to the other guy and mm-hmm. says something that meme but like a thousand times more potent. It's the, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing. Now my oh. question for you, Luke, is I have only seen these in ballparks, but I also have not been to ballparks. Yeah. In many a year. Have yeah. you? Did did these still happen there? That's what I'm saying. I haven't seen one since the nineties. Um, yeah. So I don't think they exist. I think uh, in a in a Maybe it was an Obama administration thing. Like, God, we all got yeah. together and decided that uh, this needed to die, um, become a thing of the past. I don't know. But I haven't I haven't it, seen it since at least um, Fall Out Boy was, like, headlining festivals. <laughs> I see. Now I kind of want to go to our local baseball stadium and just peek into the bathroom. Yeah. Unlike a pervert. I want to say definitely not like a pervert. I was going to say, Sam, that seems like a suspicious behavior. That's fine. Uh, Who doesn't, you know, just poke their head in? Make sure Uh, to bring the poop stick with you when you do the check-in. Yeah. (laughs) And a camera. And a camera. Yeah. Maybe a selfie stick. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it. I'm peeing in the trough. Um, Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh... God, yeah, that's so disgusting. it's pretty rough. This is Ugh. why I exclusively used uh, stalls for most yeah. of my life. Fuck yeah, yeah man! Ooh. Until uh, just, just a fun side. Until my germophobia got so bad that I was like, "Ooh, you know, the stall's probably dirtier oh. than the urinal." So it's it's a real Sophie's choice. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah, we've we've gotten a little off topic. Um, yeah. Now, okay, this is this is not super related, but this movie is only available with ads. Yeah, I'm curious. Did y'all get the trolley gummy ads? I'm sorry. What? No. Trolley, T R O L L I, the gummies. 
Gummy candy? I did not uh, get that. I'm familiar with the product. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Quite a fan, if I may say so. Um, but no, what? Oh, okay. Well, I just I got a number of ads for for trolley gummies, and um, those things are. <laughs> It's a fucking acid trip. <laughs> Those commercials are buck wild. And at one point, at one point, uh, there's a guy who, like, when the Serapeum is, like, under siege, basically, there's a guy who, like, pops up and is like, fuck you! And then he, like, turns around and sits and, like, gives, like, a self-satisfied sigh. Yeah. So he does that and he goes... And then immediately we cut to trolley, blah, 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 blah. And it, for some reason, it the timing of it was so perfect that I, for a split second, thought this was part of the movie. Mm, yeah. You remember in our very first episode when we talked about the L'Oreal commercial that was cut from Troy. I feel like we have now come full circle. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the trolley, the trolley commercial. commercial that is just incorporated into Agara. Yeah. Mistakenly included, yeah. <laughs> um, I did also just want to say, I saw in um, Orestes' like, office or whatever, there was a statue of uh, Remus and Romulus. Yeah. And it's just, just a couple bros drinking wolf milk. <laughs> <laughs> love it oh man (laughs) um yeah y'all got anything else Mm. Uh, yeah I think uh, nothing other than it is occurring to me how wild it was to watch a movie like this interspersed with ads because someone would be like let's kill the Jews and then it would be liberty (laughs) liberty liberty and you'd be like yeah it was quite a juxtaposition for sure I've said it before and I'll say it again. That's not a fucking jingle, Liberty Mutual. <laughs> and it makes me so mad. That's you maybe why wrong. I chose it. Yeah. 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 That's all yeah. I got. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, it was awful. It made me even more angry that I hadn't thought to check my local library, which mm, did have the yeah. DVD. And yeah. Instead, I watched it with the ads. So. Yeah, can't, can't, can't avoid those ads. Mm-mm. Um, well, let's let's talk about uh, what we're doing next time. Uh, let, me, let me pull up our list here. Hey, you got it, Sam. What? I said next time. Yeah, I did. did. Oh, <laughs> I did it. Uh, next time we're watching Jason and the Argonauts. Oh, hell um, yeah. Is this an old movie? This is an old movie from the 1960s. I have never seen it, but... Uh, it came up at some point in conversation with my dad and he was like, oh yeah, I watched that when I was a kid. I thought it was so cool. The skeletons coming out of the ground. I was like, excuse me? So um, (laughs) (laughs) apparently this was like the movie that was very exciting to little boys in the 1960s. Mm. Um, I'm very excited. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm very excited, especially if I can get more of your impression of your dad talking about this movie, because that is... Uh, I think it's the kids say sending me. Oh, <laughs> I love my dad. I was thinking about him actually in this movie because um, I was having to like look up. I looked up a bunch of stuff about like astronomy and, and mm-hmm. like when we actually figured out how the planets move. Um, and I was thinking about the fact that like 
My dad did a history of science lecture for our entire freshman class in college. Mm-hmm. And um, clearly I didn't retain enough of it uh, <laughs> if I'm having to go look this stuff up. So sorry, dad. Yeah. <laughs> I promise I listened. <laughs> I took notes, but. <laughs> yeah. And and um, I just want to say, uh, Dr. Hales, I'm. I'm real sorry I said not foam that one time. Um, I'm going to try not to uh, say nut foam uh, as much in the future. Just because I know a lot of people don't like the phrase nut foam. Um, so so I'll, I'll try to calm down on nut foam, Dr. Hales. Um, it's, it, it's, it's ejaculate foam. So I'm he's going to turn so red when he hears this. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, we love you, dad. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening. Sorry for me. Um, I think I lose a lot of grease lightning points for that. Mm. Well, we'll, we'll wait and see what his reaction is before yeah. we uh, deduct any points. <laughs> yeah. I think that's important. Um, yeah. In any case, folks, uh, in, until we're back next time, uh, you can find us on Facebook at uh, Grease Lightning Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Grease Light uh, Pod. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Grease Lightning Pod. Uh, sorry, it's been a minute since I've looked at our handles. Uh, and you can find us on um, mastodon at grease lightning at home dot social you can also send us an email grease lightning pod at gmail.com would love to get your emails uh so so yeah send us something and uh thank thanks again for listening well we'll see you next time with jason and the argonauts <laughs>